If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer, so act now. If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer, so act now. My name is Rob Gorski, and you're listening to the Autism Dad Podcast. I want to thank you all for taking the time to tune in. I know there's a lot going on right now. I hope that... As you are listening to this, uh, that you are safe, you are healthy, that your family, friends, loved ones are safe and healthy. Um, I, I appreciate everybody who's staying home. Uh, they help to protect people like my oldest son who are uh, immunocompromised. And, and we are staying home to protect you and your loved ones and our first responders and our medical personnel in hospitals and, and everybody else who may be uh, at higher risk and can't protect themselves. So thank you for that. Okay, so today I am going to have a sit-down parent-to-parent conversation with Melissa Winchell. If if you you might be aware that on April first of this year, uh, ABC News did a segment uh, that included uh, my family was part of that segment, and uh, we were we were included along with some other really amazing families. Melissa Winchell's was one of them, and. Um, We've been connected on Twitter for a while, and just just never put two and two together until we saw the footage of the of the video, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, I know who that person is." So, um, what, what I wanted to do was was sit down with Melissa and have sort of a continuation of of what ABC News had done so well, and that was sort of calling some attention to what families like mine and Melissa's and yours uh, are dealing with. Uh, during COVID-19 lockdown. So a little bit about Melissa. Uh, Melissa is a disabled parent of kids with disabilities, uh, including a 10-year-old little girl 
with Down syndrome, uh, autism, medical complexity, and multiple behavioral diagnoses. She's a lifelong public educator and current assistant professor of secondary education at Bridgewater State University in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. She is president of Inclusion Matters, Inc., a nonprofit advocating for and educating disabled families. Uh, I'll have information for uh, that nonprofit in the show notes below so you guys can you can check that out. Uh, Melissa and I had a, a rather lengthy um very honest conversation about what she's going through, what her husband's going through, what I'm going through, what our kids are going through. And, you know, it's, it's maybe not always easy to listen to because it, it, it is emotional at times, but if you are a family like ours or your family out there, who's dealing with unique challenges as a result of this, uh, it might bring you some comfort to know that you're not alone. Uh, Melissa is is very open and honest and transparent, and that really helps to sort of uh, promote awareness uh, to what is going on and and how you know maybe she's handling things and her and her, and her husband are handling things and how I'm handling things and we can learn uh, from each other and maybe you guys can learn something uh, that, that helps you to better manage the situation or maybe just make it a little bit easier uh, for you. So, uh, Melissa will be on right after this quick commercial break. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back with me today is Melissa. Uh, thank you for coming to the show, Melissa. Um, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, uh, Melissa, if you guys remember recently, there was the ABC news interview where there was a bunch of families, uh, mine included where we kind of discussed, how the COVID-19 lockdown was impacting uh, families like ours with, with sort of our unique needs and challenges and things like that. And Melissa's was one of those families. Um, Melissa, would you, would you mind sort of introducing yourself and, and, and your family and just sort of uh, tell us how you're doing? And yeah, Well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. Yeah, um, we were just talking about how nice it is to see someone in person when you know them through Twitter or through social media. So um, we didn't know that your family was going to be featured on the segment until I. So when I was just saying to you when we when you popped up on the screen, it oh I know him. <laughs> so that was really cool. Um, so yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Melissa Winchell. Um, I've been married for almost 23 years to my uh, husband Jason, and we've got three kids actually. So only one was featured on the ABC News segment because the others would definitely not want to be on TV. Uh, but we have two sons who we adopted internationally. Um, they are now 24 and 22 years old, which is crazy to say that. Yes. <laughs> um, we adopted them when they were six and eight. And then, um, and they're brothers. And then we um, have a daughter who's 10 and she's our biological daughter. Um, and you, those of you who saw the ABC segment saw her featured on that. Um, her name is Mariah. Um, and so all three of our kids have diagnoses of some kind. Um, I can speak most specifically uh, to my daughter's diagnoses. And then I can, I'm happy to speak more generally about my, you know, other experiences we've had in this family with other kinds of diagnoses. But um, my daughter has Down syndrome. Uh, she was recently just this year diagnosed as well with autism. And then she has a number of kind of behavior diagnoses, ADHD, uh, some features of selective mutism, which is an anxiety-based disorder, oppositional defiance disorder. Um, so we are doing um, 
doing a lot every day just in terms of managing her behavior. And I would say, I'm not sure her behavior can be managed some days. I feel like more, um, it's more sometimes about us managing our responses to her behavior than it is about changing her behavior outright. Because I don't know if you've had this experience as well, or probably any parent, but especially special needs parents, it just takes a long time for kids to change the way they're, you know, to change the way they respond to the world. And so uh, for us, it's just been kind of a lesson in patience and our own growth, I think. Um, you asked how we're doing, right? Yeah, how are you doing? <laughs> um, this has been a really hard week. So uh, today is day 30 for us. I know you there are a little bit ahead of us. In six days, 36 on. days. <laughs> Not that it's actually, a competition, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it were, you win. <laughs> I don't want to win. Um, yeah. <laughs> we actually went into, I, I keep calling it quarantine, even though I know that that word actually has more medical connotations. Um, but we went into staying at home uh, a little earlier than most people. Um, my kiddo got, just wasn't feeling well um, one day. This would have been the 12th of March. And just because of the scary news, I didn't think that she had COVID, but I was worried about her already weakened immune system then, you know, picking up any little thing, including COVID. Uh, she had a fever. So I just decided that day, not only would I keep her home because of the fever, but that we just wouldn't go back to school. And at that point, our schools in Massachusetts hadn't been canceled. Uh, the, I teach at a university that had not canceled yet. And I just thought, well, I don't care what these people do, but I know what I'm going to do for my family. Our daughter has had, I think, 14 surgeries now and a ton of medical complications. We've been in the back of ambulances way too many times. And um, I've just learned over the years to just prioritize health, uh, physical and mental health, and just decided that that was the best decision for our family. So that would have been a Thursday. Massachusetts schools closed closed that Monday was their first day. Um, so yeah, we've been at this like you for a little little bit of time. And this past week, I don't know what it is. If it's, I mean, I I won't say that the honeymoon is over because I'm not sure families like ours get honeymoons. <laughs> but um, it just I think the reality setting in, and she's just crying a lot. She's not sleeping at night. Of course, we had a sleep study ordered and scheduled for this coming week, which has now been canceled because of COVID. So, you know, I think that's part of it too, is like so many of these, we have a ton, we actually had a ton of upcoming medical appointments or some fairly serious concerns we have about her and they've all been postponed or put on hold. So she's not sleeping, you know, we're not sleeping. We're all kind of um, worn out and tired. We, it was March 6th, my middle child, Elliot, was uh, showing symptoms that uh, concerned me enough to call his doctor. Um, he was scheduled for a well check on the sixth for because he just turned fourteen, and uh, I, I called him and said, "Hey, you know, he's got a fever, he's got a cough, he's um, not feeling well. We, we have a well check scheduled for today. I don't know if you guys want me to cancel it or if you want me to bring him in and have him looked at because I'm a little bit concerned." Because uh, we had just been recently, we were, we were in Orlando for a week, um, and I don't know, a, a week or so after we got home, uh, the first case was confirmed in Orlando, 
And so that was the sixth was was sort of like the the two week mark from when we got home uh, or from from when we were in Orlando. And so it, you know, there was nothing in, in Stark County where I live uh, or even in Ohio at that point. But I, I just I just wanted to be sure because my oldest is immunocompromised. And so I don't take any we, we just don't mess around. Uh, so I, I had him to the doctor and they they uh, tested him. They didn't have uh, covid testing yet. Um, but they tested him for flu to try and rule it out. And he tested positive for influ- uh, influenza B. Um, and it was a, it was a mild case cause we all have our, uh, flu shots, but we went sort of on lockdown from that point. Cause I don't want to send him to school. And then my youngest was starting to show the same symptoms. And so I didn't want to send him to school and my oldest, it's sort of a blessing in a way he's, he's schizophrenic as well. And so he lives in his own kind of world and spends most of his time in his room, uh, on all these adventures that, that he goes on. And, and so we were able to sort of isolate everybody <laughs> to some extent, but we started on the sixth and I don't know, it was like a week after that, the first case in Ohio, I think came up and I was like, we're done. Like, I'm not even messing with this. Uh, I'm on my own. And so it's, I, I, can, I can just, I, I know how difficult it's going to be if everything goes right. And I just didn't want to take any chances. And so 36 days later, <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're all here. There was four of us when we started and there's four of us now I, I have, well, my hair was gone 20 years ago, but, <laughs> but it, but it, but it's, it's tough, you know, like my kids are, my youngest is more aggressive right now. I'm, I'm noticing that he's much more aggressive. He has a very short fuse. Um, and he, they're very anxious, right? They, we had to stop visits with their mom because we didn't want to ship the kids back and forth. Uh, and the kids live with me full time. So they've been here and we set up like uh, Zoom meetings and stuff like that with their mom and grandparents and aunts and uncles and stuff so we can keep them in contact. But it's it's, it's hard, you know, they're, they're, they thrive on routine and structure, whether they will admit to that or not. Uh, and and everything has just been sort of turned upside down. It's like a, like a snow globe and they just sort of shook it up and it, and it hasn't stopped. So nothing can settle. And it's just, you know, meltdowns and uh, not sleeping. Sleep schedule is just totally thrown off. Um, are you guys sort of, are you, are you seeing sort of similar things like anxiety and, and uh, distress? And Yeah, a lot of anxiety. Um, we're doing the same, trying to do Zoom calls or FaceTime with, um, you know, fam- extended family and her friends. Um, but she, I almost feel like sometimes it makes it worse. I don't know if you have that feeling at all. I think, I, I think she, it makes her, it's almost like the cognitive dissonance, right? It's like, I can see you, but I'm not with you. And now I'm frustrated. And now I'm angry that I'm not with you. And, you know, I know why, because I've been told why, but it still makes me mad. And so then you know, sometimes I find the behavior is worse and our kiddo can be aggressive at times as well. And so, um, yeah, so it's been really hard. And then, you know, so she'll like, you know, she'll get on a Zoom call with her good friends from school and she loves these girls and she's nothing but rude to them. You know, the whole time she's calling them names and, you know, you're trying to like 
balance, okay, at what point do we say, well, this isn't helpful, but, you know, we want her to be included and, you know, and, and I don't even know what, at this point, like, who knows what inclusion looks like for, for our kids, right? We're, we're all now isolated, but yeah, so I don't know. It's, that's been really hard. And she, yeah, she's just having a really hard time. But one of the biggest things we're noticing this week is some pretty intense separation anxiety. So, um, you know, my husband went to the grocery store this morning to get the groceries. Hopefully for the next couple of weeks, we're trying to not go very often. But when somebody goes, it's always him, et cetera. And I mean, you would have thought he said he was not coming home for 200 years. I mean, it was, you know, crying and I need to call dad and where's dad? And um, yeah, so I just, I have some, you know, I mean, that's hard to deal with. But then, of course, when I think about whenever we do get back to school, I don't know how she's going to go to school without one of us with her or, or get through a day, you know. I, w- I was just talking with uh, the episode that we're recording this on Friday. It's Friday, right? We decided it was Friday. Yes. Friday the 10th of April. <laughs> we decided it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They asked me what day it is. I'm just like, it's April. That's about as good as I can get you right now. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um I had just spoken with uh, uh, Alicia Halliday. She's the uh, chief science officer at the Autism Science Foundation. She has uh, an autistic daughter. And and we were just talking about this exact same thing. And she was saying, I I was asking her, you know, do you you think like, what are the long-term effects of this? I mean, nothing like this has ever happened. How... Like, are our kids just going to bounce back? Are the schools going to expect attendance? Are they going to expect, um, you know, academic progress? Or I mean, I, I have no idea how to even begin putting this back together. Uh, school was difficult enough on its own. Like, my kids were adjusting to the divorce, um, and and they still hadn't adjusted to that. And my youngest had spent two months, for the most part, out of school. Um, getting homework sent home because he was so anxious and so depressed that he just couldn't, he couldn't function. And he was back for two weeks. And then this happened and you know, it's, it's, they, they send home schoolwork. Like we, we go every Monday and pick it up and then we drop it off the following Monday, to pick up the new stuff. Uh, I always tell people it's like a drug deal because like you pull up to the school, you crack the window, they, they slide the, uh, <laughs> The, the thing through the window the and you slide it back. In. Yeah. And you just sort of like look around and make sure like no one's creeping up on your car. Cause you don't want to breathe the same air or whatever. And um, yeah. And it's just, it's just, uh, it's tough. And I, I have such a hard time getting them to even focus on their schoolwork right now. And like, like you said, like I've, I've sort of taken the approach that I'm not, I'm just not going to push it because I'm one person I, I only have so many resources and if I devote more resources to them, just doing pointless busy work, which is what it amounts to, then I'm, I'm, I'm dropping the ball somewhere else. And a lot of, a lot of people don't seem to understand that. Like, I like, so I guess I admire the fact that you, you, you just kind of make that decision and you just sort of run with it because I, I, I sort of do the same thing, but then I, I second guess myself and then I'm thinking like, Oh man, like what is the school going to say? But frankly, I don't care what the school says because I, I, I have to do what I have to do to survive. And we're in a pandemic and survival is the end goal here. 
And uh, do, do you, are you having difficulty with like the education outside of the, the school system now? Yeah, we really are. You know, last week <laughs> we hit a really good rhythm. Um, we felt like, wow, where things are kind of falling into place. And um, I think you may have seen on the ABC segment that we kind of are trying to pass off Mariah's education to each other. So I get up and start um, from six to nine in the morning. So this is the ideal schedule. Let me just practice this because yeah. I'm about to explain to you why it's not working. <laughs> so from six to nine, I am like here in my office working on my work, right? Because I'm working full time still, as is my husband. We're both educators. So, you know, we've got hundreds of students counting on us to show up and get our work done and, and uh, you know, meet with them on computer and whatnot. So um, and then I go downstairs at nine and I take over for a three hour shift and continue Mariah's education. We do that all day until like, six, you know, we didn't do another shift 12 to three and three to six at night. So last week that seemed to be working pretty well. We felt like, wow, we're getting into a rhythm and she seemed like she was adjusting pretty well. And then this week, I don't know what happened. I think it's like the not sleeping for sure. And the, the increased anxiety and all of it, but we just can't like we, I, I was saying, saying and writing about it this morning. I think we've had maybe all week, like a good hour of learning time, like all week long. And I'm saying this as two professional educators. I have a doctorate in freaking education. <laughs> like of any parent out there who might be qualified to make a kid with a disability <laughs> do their schoolwork, it might be me. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's just not happening this week. Do you, what do you anticipate the challenges are going to be when, when we eventually do get back uh, into some kind of whatever the new normal is going to be? Because it won't be the same. It'll, everything's going to be different. What do you anticipate? How, how do you think she's going to respond? Yeah. So like you, we have issues um, with school. We are in a great school system, I have to say. Uh, they're just doing such a bang up job on inclusion and, and supporting her. Uh, we're really fortunate, um, but she has shown some school refusal behaviors um, over the last couple of months, and some of them were starting to get a little worse right before this happened. So, you know, I think part of my concern is that this time at home is almost rewarding avoidant behavior, right? So she wants to avoid school or at least some parts of school, the parts that are not fun. <laughs> so this is great because now she doesn't have to go in after recess, right? Or do some of the things that they want her to do. So I, I honestly think, and I know this sounds so basic, but I think our number one problem is going to be getting her to do all the things that all the typical parents probably will take for granted. Like, will my kid get on the bus in the morning, not just the first morning, but I mean, like for weeks, I think we'll have trouble getting her on the bus. Um, and we were already having some of that trouble sometimes. So I just can't even imagine or, you know, uh, right before school, before we got out of school, she was not getting off the bus. So she would get on the bus and go to school and then wouldn't get off and go into the building. So I think just some of those um, transitions that were already so hard for her and were already giving her pause for lots of reasons to kind of dig her heels in and say, nope, I'm not doing this next thing. I'm not transitioning to the next thing. I think all of those things are going to be 
that much harder for her because the adjustment is going to be, I think, a really big adjustment. And then also, you know, I think you and I both probably are in agreement that this is probably going to go on for a while. Massachusetts hasn't canceled school past the beginning of May, but I don't have expectation that we'll be back in school before the end of the school year. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that sounds discouraging. I don't know, but that's at least what I'm telling myself. So, you know, let's say my daughter doesn't go back to school till September. Well, now she's going into a whole new grade with, you know, some of her teachers and therapists, but new regular ed teachers, new classroom, new, you know, and just the amount of transitions um, and changes. Um, my kiddo sounds like a lot like your sons are, does not like change, likes routine. Um, I think it's just going to be really hard. And then I'm sure like you, it's like we're worried sometimes. I mean, I worry a lot less about academics um, because I just think emotional and physical health is so much more important from, for all of us, not just our kids. But um, but still, I just, you know, we've made so many gains in the last year and two that I just am worried that some of those gains might be lost. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, my well, my kids... My kids struggle with time change, right? Like when we when we either move the clock forward an hour or move the clock back an hour. This is way more significant than time change. This is like life change, and I and I I just I I my youngest um, and and he and I have, we've talked about this on on the show before, and he uh, he struggles with a lot of sensory issues. Um, clothes are not his friend, and. You know, he uh, he hasn't been wearing shirts or shoes and socks or anything since this whole thing started. Now, admittedly, most of the time I'm wearing my pajama pants <laughs> and, and a sweatshirt right. because it's like, why the hell do I get dressed? Because I'm not going to be going anywhere. Uh, but you do, you know, if you get if you get dressed and put on regular clothes, it sort of normalizes things a little bit, makes you feel a little bit better. But um, all the progress that we made with the sensory stuff is just going to be all out the window. And I don't know how long, I mean, he'll, he'll bounce back. It's going to take time. That's where I don't know how to navigate beyond this point. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the next school year. I mean, is it even going to start? Like we start in August, like last third week in August, I think we start. Is that even possible? I, I and then if it's possible, because they're pushing to open things up now. I mean, Ohio isn't. Ohio is doing really well. Governor DeWine is, I always say, like, I didn't vote for him, but he is doing an amazing job keeping us safe. But let, let's say they open the schools because they think it's, you know, like minimal risk. I have a kid with compromised immune system. I, I mean, do I, do I send my kids to school, put them at risk? And then even worse, if they get sick, putting my son at risk, who... who who may not recover from a COVID infection. I, I'm trying not to think about that because I don't know that I would feel comfortable sending my kid back either. Um, so she has a lot of her health history has to do with her lungs actually. And okay. her, um, her heart, she had open heart surgery when she was two months old, as do a lot of kids with Down syndrome have open heart surgery, but she's had a lot of lung complications since. and. Um, Anytime we've been in an ambulance, which has been 
like dozens of times, it's because she goes into respiratory distress and turns blue and isn't getting enough oxygen. And then it will turn out she has pneumonia or, you know, or had a mucus plug in her lungs or whatever. And she aspirates. So um, anything she drinks or anything that's liquid goes to her lungs instead of, yeah. So, um, so and yeah, I worry about her lungs anyway. <laughs> and so I, you know, where, especially where the COVID is a lung, a lung issue and a lung disease, I just get so nervous because I know, you know, I'm hearing, oh, kids are less susceptible, you know, on the whole. We have, we have a one year old in Ohio, the, the, uh, the age span is from less than a year to nine, 102 is the, is the span of people who are wow. infected. So we have toddlers, little babies. I've heard that too about babies getting sick. And I just feel like my kid would be one of the ones that I think would have a really hard time bouncing back. I know I was saying to you earlier that there are like some medical appointments that got postponed. And one of the things we're waiting on now for COVID to whenever we can get back to the hospital, they want to bring her into the operating room actually to look at her lungs again, because we haven't done that in a little while now. Uh, to see what damage has been done over time with this, you know, we thicken everything she drinks, but you know, there's surely things still getting in and uh, she's having still some, you know, respiratory issues and that kind of thing. So anyway, so yeah, I just, but then, you know, I think about that and I think, Oh my God, like we both work full time. What are we going to do? Like, I, you know, if if our if we all go back or our jobs go back and we're expected to be there, but I somehow don't feel comfortable with my kid being in school, I don't. I don't even know. <laughs> the system, and this is the issue, right? It's like the system, system, school, everything is not set up for the most fragile among us, and and for people who are on the margins. You know, it's. And I think, I'm sure you feel the same way, but as a parent of a kid with a disability, it's like we encounter that lack of accessibility and the lack of even thought for people with disabilities all the time, all the time. It's been very frustrating for me because I, like, I, I didn't want to overreact to this, but I didn't want to be complacent. And so, you know, I started preparing even before we went on lockdown, you know, I would, when I'd go to the grocery store, I'd, I'd pick up some extra ramen noodles or, you know, something that could sit on a shelf, uh, cans of soup, things like that. And everybody thought I was crazy. Uh, but as I, I, as I saw how bad it was getting in China and how there was no response by our government for like the first 70 days, um, it was like, I have a kid with a compromised immune system. I have, a, my youngest has a fever disorder. I, I can't rely on other people to do what needs to be done. I have to do whatever I can to sort of hunker down and shelter in place. And I can look out my window and see all these people not taking it seriously. You know, they, and maybe judging whether they're taking it seriously is whatever, but they're, they're walking around in, in groups uh, up and down the street. They're having people over for cookouts and stuff like that. And I, I don't know, like, like, does it just not register or, or is, is it just a unique perspective of somebody who is attached to someone who is at high risk that you we're, we're just more sensitive to it or we're more aware of, of the risks? Uh, but it is, it's, it's frustrating. I find myself getting angry sometimes because I'm like, my God, like, like how selfish do you have to be 
to, to go to spring break when when we have thousands of people dying from a virus that you're just pretending doesn't exist, you know, and it only takes one person. We're at the mercy of the weakest link. And it feels like there's a lot of weak links out there who are not staying home or they're not, they're not thinking about how their actions can impact the lives of people who can't protect themselves. And I, and I, that that's a that's like a personal struggle with me. I, I try not to be judgmental. I try not to be <sighs> angry or anything like that. But it, it's like it's, I feel like they're just playing Russian roulette with my kid's life, and and I don't I don't feel like that's over dramatizing. I feel like if he were to get sick, he would be one of the people who would end up on a ventilator if one's available. You know, and then would he, with all of his other health conditions, I mean, they're going to have to start prioritizing who gets what, I mean, how do they make that decision? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with you. Um, Someday you'll have to talk with my husband because he started doing the exact same thing you did as as the news was coming out of China. Um, Yeah. Same thing that, you know, didn't go like, I mean, you know, we don't have the bunker in our backyard or something, but the same thing was like. You know, buying buying for extra pasta, things yeah. that could stay on the shelf, um, and yeah, when everybody kind of, when schools closed and everybody kind of panicked that weekend, he was kind of looking around like, where have you all been? Do you not watch the news? Like, what did you think was going to happen? But I, you know, I wonder too, because I, 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 we are feeling exactly what you're feeling, and have to keep reminding each other, like, don't judge. You know, I have to keep myself sometimes from commenting on people's Facebook posts or. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure your community has a like town or city web, uh-huh. you know, Facebook page or whatever, and just seeing what people are doing and and uh, their their uh, lack of knowledge about the situation sometimes is really frustrating. I always wonder too if it's like, um, you know, I think some of us are used to being in the majority and maybe don't have connections to minority communities, right? And and I think when you have Disabled kids, I consider myself disabled actually as well because I have a few mental health diagnoses myself. Um, but when you when you identify with a community of people that are mar- you know marginalized in some way, I think it does change your perspective because you begin to care more about community and the common good, even sometimes over your own individual rights. And I think that to me is the rub right now that we're having in this country. Oh yeah. The fight between, well, I have a right to go and do what I want to do and to be with my friends versus I'm going to sacrifice my individual rights in this moment, not for the rest of my life, but just in this situation for the good of, for the common good. And especially the good of people who, you know, aren't in the majority and healthy and well and able to maybe beat COVID if they got it, you know? I don't. I don't understand the logic because like do it, it has to all stem from the fact that they don't think it's that serious because if you took it serious, whether you cared about how it impacted someone else or not, you would think self-preservation would, would be a driving force. I'm not going to go anywhere near where I can get this. And, and like I, I keep telling my kids, um, I sort of, I've been handling this sort of like a zombie apocalypse with them because they're very, very, my two oldest are very advanced and you can't placate them 
with answers. And so that's very difficult to navigate anything that's complex because they're not emotionally equipped to handle all of it. But intellectually, they won't accept anything less than that. And so you, you have this this impossible balance to find. And so I decided we'll do it like a zombie apocalypse. So we take it seriously. Anything that you would want to do for a zombie apocalypse, we would be doing now, right? You, you shelter in place. You avoid contact with other people. You know, you ration your food. You Everybody has a responsibility to keep the house going. We play to everyone's strengths. Uh, we focus on on things that we can do to, you know, plan ahead and make it through this. And and that's sort of taken some of the anxiety away from them because it's become kind of a, a game, which I, I, it sounds terrible to say it like that, but, but it's, I'm trying to find an out of the box way to help them understand how serious this is without inducing undue anxiety, you know, cause I, if we avoid everybody, we're going to be fine. Right. If we do what we're supposed to do, as long as we don't have contact with people and we're smart and we wash our hands and uh, we social distance and, and all that stuff, you know, we'll probably be OK. But it's but you have to you have to do all that stuff like you can't you can't say, oh, I just want to I want to get back to work or I want to I, I really feel like I should be able to go to the movies or, or whatever. And I mean, you just you just can't. We have to see this through because. Uh, kids like my son, like your daughter, um, you know, people who are uh, on chemo fighting cancer or the elderly or, or people living with uh, HIV AIDS or, or anything that can compromise your immune system, they can't, they can't fight it themselves and they need us to be human. And, and, I, and I feel like you see these people out there not, I don't know if it's ignorance or if it's just lack of awareness, you know, and like I said, I try not to judge, but it's hard when the actions that somebody is doing or not doing could be a life or death thing for you or your family or anybody else they're around. And it's especially hard, like you were saying before, we don't have a guarantee that our kids would be priority if they needed a ventilator, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think Massachusetts just came out um, this week. I was reading, they came out with their protocols for how to decide, basically. You know, um, I forget if it was a particular hospital or I'll have to look again, but it was harrowing to read, you know, because you just think, well, that might disqualify my kid or that might, you know, it's just the, yeah, given that our kids already have a disability and they already have health issues and, they may not be priority people, which do they do they take the fact that they're a child into account or do they do you know what I mean? Like, like, like right. I it sounds terrible, but it's almost like they're viewed as less than right. Like, like, like they're expendable. Right. right. And that's just not. And, and it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Mm -hmm. we, we, we can we can do what we need to do. And and get through it, and and preserve as much life as we as we can. Nobody should have to choose, and I, I don't think the doctors relish having to make those decisions no. at all. I saw um, I saw a video recently of uh, doctors in Spain who were who were saying how they were they were they were having to disconnect people sixty five and older from the, the ventilators to give them to younger people, and they would you know sedate the older person so they didn't suffer. 
But these mm-hmm. doctors were just sobbing like it, it was just breaking them to do that. So it's it's not like people have evil intent. It's no, uh, whoever thought we would have to make this kind of decision right. and, and then what do we do? And I would like to think that my son would be a priority because he's a priority to me, you know, and right. he has a lot to offer the world. And yes, he has health conditions, but who doesn't really? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, right. so, so it's like, how do you, there's so many pieces to this that I think the general public just maybe it just sort of goes under their radar, you know, not that they don't mm-hmm. care, but they're just unaware. And, mm-hmm. and that, that ABC piece, the segment that, that we were a part of, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback from, from people who were just uh, thanking us for, for making people aware of what was going on so, so that they can be more compassionate so that they, maybe they don't want to do it for themselves, but they'll stay home because they don't want your daughter to get sick or they don't want my son to get sick. And, you know, so I I figure, I mean, we can't make any changes if we don't talk about it. And I guess that just sort of leads us back to day 36 (laughs) or 30, 30, right? (laughs) 30. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting you say that though. I think too, I was um, listening to governor Cuomo in New York yesterday talking about the, the stay at home for, campaign that he started. So kind of dedicating your stay at home in honor of someone, right? Wasn't it his his mother, right? Didn't he use his mother? Yeah. 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 Uh, And I think what you're saying is so important because I think, you know, for those of us who I happen not to be one of them, but who think that we're invincible or like, I'm healthy, you know, it's not going to, it wouldn't be that big of a deal for me. I think it is really useful to see stories like our families and, and others, so many others, and think about maybe, okay, well, I'll stay at home for that person then instead, because that, it does, it makes a big difference. It really does. Let me ask you this, because this just occurred to me when we were talking about this. Um, one of the commonalities that I think, whether it's autism families or just special needs in general, parents have that innate fear that, you know, what happens to my kid when I'm no longer here, right? Do you think that does that, have you thought about that at all in, oh. in, in, in this circumstance? Because I know I keep thinking like as, as a single parent, like my, like what happens if I get, if I get sick, you know, there's, there's limited ability for their mom to take over. Uh, if, if my parents, had to take over my kids. Then now we have two at-risk groups getting together. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like there's just, I mean, in, in, in that moment, I mean, you just do what you got to do, but it, but there's just like, no, it, you go down that rabbit hole and, and it's, and it's like, man, I should not have gone down that rabbit hole, but, but it is, I mean, it, it just sort of plays on that fear that I feel like we, we always have kind of lingering in the back of our, our uh, our heads and our minds and and keep us up at night and and then you face something like this and and that that threat just seems so much more real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I we um my husband and I talk sometimes about like the only thing worse than losing our one of our kids would be for them to lose us, right? Like, yeah. I mean, what is the better scenario here? <laughs> you know, either 
I mean, obviously either they're going to outlive us or we're going to outlive them or, or her one or the other, but there's like no good scenario. But in this, in this situation, especially, yeah, I had a moment the other, just the other night actually, and just, um, just feeling super overwhelmed, like all, just kind of all of a sudden, all that fear, right. Of like, wow, we really could get sick. You know, we, um, what if something happens to one of us and, um, you know, we have, we have planning in place, you know, we know, um, where, who Mariah would go to if something happens to us. Um, but I just can't imagine, I can't imagine one of us carrying on without the other. Like, I mean, we would obviously, right. But I don't know how you do it, Rob. Seriously, my hat off is off to you because we make our life works because we kind of tag team a lot. And I just, when I think about like Jason, my husband outliving me and him raising my kid, I think, wow, she'll be well fed because he's the cook in the family. <laughs> you know, she'll, he'll, she'll be well fed and he'll do his, her laundry. He's like really good at getting all the little details done. That is not my forte. I'm like writing books while he's like doing laundry. That's how the dynamic works in our family. <laughs> So, you know, all those little things will get taken care of, but I'm the like emotional glue kind of, you know, I'm the one who's planning the calendar and trying to balance her social life with her academic life with, you know, and just I'm the emotive kind of snuggly, not that my husband doesn't snuggle, but you know what I mean? It's just like more my, my shtick with her. You guys compliment each other and it's, and it's, uh, and yeah, that, that's. I can't imagine um, we're going we, without one of us. Yeah, we split up in August. Uh, she left in August, and you know, it, it, if you followed her story, it's not the first time this has happened. And and I learned the first time that I am strong enough to do what I didn't think I'd ever be able to do. It doesn't mean that it's the way that I want to do it, or if I had any control, I would choose to do it. Uh, but I know that I'm I'm capable of it, and and it just it, it sucks for me because like six months, about six months, eight months into this, we have the worst case scenario happen, <laughs> and and I'm I'm uh, more isolated than I think I've I've ever been in in a long time. I am, and I'm so I'm so hard on myself. And I know, I think parents like us in general, we beat ourselves up all the time for any number of things. I was just, when I was talking with Alicia from the Autism Science Foundation, she was saying that she she has a hard time sleeping because she feels like she's failing her kids, you know, whether it's educationally because there's difficulties with educating your kids in, in the current circumstance or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm one person and... And each one of these kids can be a full-time job and it's, and it's, it's hard, but you know, I'm, I'm very lucky because I, I, my, my kids are amazing. And, and if I have to be locked down with anyone, I'd rather be locked down with them than anybody else. You know I mean? They, they know that I'm always there for them. And, and, and I think part of that leads to them, lashing out at me more 
because I'm safe. Right. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the whole, like, I hate you thing. Like my kids have different ways of doing that. And, uh, and it, and it sucks, but then you have to sort of step back and depersonalize it and, and realize, okay, well, they're doing that because they know that I'm safe. They know that they can trust me. And so they can say whatever they feel like they need to say, even if it's something that I don't want to hear. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) but yeah, it it just, it is, it's, Staring at the same four walls, you know, everything that every, all the struggles that we faced on the good days are just amplified, uh, exponentially now. And then we have all the unknown, like my kids don't do well with unknown predictability is something that is, um, you know, helpful for my kids. And so it it is, it just, there's a lot of emotional and I've battled with depression for most of my life. And one of my, one of my big ways of managing that was I would go to the, to the park and I'd walk three or four miles every morning after I dropped the kids off at school. Why well, I can't go do that now because well, my oldest refuses to leave the house. He's too afraid. He'll go in the yard and we go out into the yard and stuff, but uh, he won't go anywhere else. And I don't want to leave him at home. I wouldn't want to leave him at home anyways, but uh, he's now on medicated schizophrenia uh, uh, because his medication that he's on for uh, his antipsychotic is called clozapine, and that requires lab work every time he gets a refill. In order to do that, I have to take him to get blood work done in a place that is a petri dish. And so I had to make a decision. I, you know, I talked with his mom and his doctor, and, and we decided the best thing to do was to wean him off, at least for now. Uh, so that adds a different dimension to things. And he's cognitively about five or six years old. He's 20, uh, and he's autistic and schizophrenic and has a lot of health issues. Um, but he's an amazing kid. You know, he's always wanting to know what he can do to help. He's always trying to do this and do that and, and never complains about any of the things that he has to go through, you know? And, uh, you know, it, it's, it just, it's, it's, it's tough, you know? And when you, when you, when you don't have even the emotional backup, you know, it's, it's hard when you have the backup. Uh, and for me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of learning as I go, uh, right now and, you know, but, but there are people out there that have it far worse. And, and I try to focus on the things that are positive. You know, my kids are healthy. I'm healthy. Uh, we may, nobody's homicidal at this point, (laughs) you know, (laughs) we're not, uh, we're not like plotting each other's doom or I'm not waking up and finding people like staring over me at night. (laughs) Right. Um, and, and my son with his, his delusions are, are very, they're very, um, I guess you can have like light and dark kind of issues and his, he's a superhero and he, uh, he fights all these bad guys. He's writing a novel right now that that's actually really, really good. He writes better than, than he can communicate with words. And it's, it's amazing. Um, and so I'm, I'm keeping him focused on that. And that's, that's sort of, he's, he's spending that extra energy he has now not being on the meds, uh, focused on writing. And so that's, you know, uh, I didn't intend to go that long, but I appreciate you asking because 
I don't know when the last time yeah. I've been asked that question. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I just, you know, I appreciate what you're saying too about depression because I've had depression for most of my adult life. And um, I, it, it's extra hard, I think, because a lot of what we do as people who have depression is reach out for people, right? Like we know, you know, I was just reflecting this morning, like I can feel it kind of nipping at my heels this week, you know, which is, just what it is. I'm, you know, I'm not freaking out about it. I know what this is like. But, you know, part of what we do, you know, when we're trying to stay healthy is to reach out and kind of force ourselves to do it, right? I mean, I know as at least when I'm depressed, the last thing usually I want to do is reach out, but I've learned. So I can't imagine when you're, you know, to be, it's almost like you have to be your own backup in your scenario, you know, and mm, that's really that. hard. Yeah. I, uh, I've always looked at depression. Well, I started looking at depression as a war and not just a battle. Like when people say I'm battling depression, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've decided that like, I look at it as, as an ongoing war because there's going to be battles that I lose and there's going to be plenty more that I win. But when I have like a really bad day and I lose a battle, it, it's yeah. just sort of a way of reframing it for myself that lets that. me know that like, okay, I lost this battle and that's okay because tomorrow I got to fight again and, and I'll, and I'll, I'll win. Uh, have you have you read? I don't. I'm a, a former English major here, so yeah. you'll have to excuse me while I get a little bit nerdy. Um, have, I don't know if you read a poem by Rumi called um, I think it's called The Guest House or Guest House, and he um, writes about basically like an unexpected visitor coming into the house and basically learning to welcome something that's unexpected as if it's like a like a welcomed guest and someone you were expecting and i know this sounds kind of a like a far-fetched um metaphor but that metaphor has helped me tremendously with my depression and my anxiety i have both just learning that um i do better when i think of depression as a guest that's visiting and that yeah you know, they stay, sometimes they stay longer than others. Sometimes one visits, sometimes the other, sometimes they come together. Um, but I don't, um, I don't, I don't want to say panic. That's too strong of a word. Cause, but, but I don't get as anxious about it because I'm like, okay, if you've been here before, come on in, you know, and I know that this is not going to last forever or that some of the, like you're saying, some of the days are going to be harder when you're here than others. But that has been really helpful to me. I have found for myself that when I try to push it away, I'm not actually dealing with it and like making myself better. So um, so that has been a super helpful metaphor for me to just kind of learn to be with it in a different way uh, and not to be afraid of it. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, not to be afraid of it. Kind of your son's superhero metaphor, I'm sure. <laughs> I've always looked at it as sort of like a Chinese finger trap, right? Like the harder you fight it, the tighter it grips. Uh. And, and I mean, I, I don't like giving advice to people, but when I'm asked, what I have chosen to do is sort of like you said, I've embraced it because it's, mm-hmm. it's a part of me, whether I like that part right. of me or not, it's a part of me. And if I fight it, I'm, I'm fueling it. Rather than fight it, I, I embrace right. it, I weather it, and I do what I have to do to get past it. And, yeah. it, and, and, and the reframing really, it, it does, it sounds silly, I guess, but it, but it really does help um, mm-hmm. to, to do that. And now when you're looking outside and, you know, like you don't know what's going to happen or how long this is going to last, um, 
it's a lot harder for, for people who are dealing with things like depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm doing, I'm just trying to do a lot of things. I think, you know, I know we, we were talking earlier about sometimes not being able to do everything we want to do for our kids. And I think, um, that's probably the first thing I'm learning again is that I need to give myself permission not to do everything that I think should be done <laughs> because I need some of that extra time to rest or to sleep um, or to take care of myself. So, um, yeah, I'm going to bed really early at night, <laughs> really early, like embarrassingly early, usually between seven and eight o'clock Good for you. Um, because I'm just tired and I can't sustain you know usually a you take your naps take your naps on the couch yeah yeah <laughs> you saw that I, on rem- I remember that yeah that's, that's no lie man i mean i sometimes i just have to lie down you know just i gotta lie here and i always you know I, I, it sounds like you and i are probably wired the same way i'm hard on myself too there's a million and one things i should be doing for my kid let alone my own job um but yeah, I just have to tell myself I can't. And then I've tried, I decided this month that I would read a book for fun. I have no time for reading a book, but decided I should do that because I just decided it's more important than some of the other things that need to happen. I love reading. So just trying to get back to having some downtime from, for myself. Um, and then um, tried, I, I'm a meditator. So I've been meditating now for, I don't know, not eight or nine years pretty consistently um, try to meditate daily and I meet every Friday evening uh, with the meditation group. So right now we're on, on zoom in this time instead of in person, but that has been super helpful to me just to have that community of people. And then also to um, just have that, that space to just be and to be okay with whatever is going on in my mind or, um, in the world, it just kind of makes that space, I think, for me to just um, allow things to be exactly as they are and to um, try to be accepting that all, almost all of it is outside of my control. <laughs> are you finding it difficult to find? I mean, I guess it kind of all comes down to balance. And balance before all this happened was difficult. Are, are you finding it like, is it even possible to balance at this point? And how do you, how do you, like, how do you accept that? Because I'm trying to figure out how to accept that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, this is such a good question. So I know um, I've messaged, I've, I've mentioned to you in other communications that you and I have had that my son was quarantined for a year after a bone marrow transplant. So this was about, 14 years ago when he was 10. So I'm trying as much as I can to draw on the lessons from that time and bring them into this one because there's so many similarities and they feel very similar to me in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things that I, I, uh, I think life tried to teach me then, but I didn't learn until I started meditating and <laughs> really practicing with this is just that there is not a lot that doesn't change. Like basically the only constant in life is change and that any effort I make to try to make things concrete is pretty futile and also very disappointing and heartbreaking for me. So, <laughs> uh, because I am a control freak. So I, my, my, uh, 
the way I like to operate is like, here's what's going to happen and I'm going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm good at making things happen. So then when I get frustrated in those attempts, um, it's very, very devastating for me. So what I've learned over the years is even when we're talking about balance or self-care, just trying to stay really flexible with it. You know, I, I've kind of given up on like the, well, every day must look like this. Every day must include X number of minutes of meditation or this or that. It's more like, okay, here's some kind of things I'd like to put in place over a month or so. I'll try them out. I, I guess I just kind of feel like it's, I just try to approach it more from an experimental or playful sense. Like, okay, well, I got no alone time today, but now I'm tired and I'm going to bed. Try again another day. Like, I just try not to make a big issue out of it because I just feel like then it just makes it all the more painful for me. Um, so I think, I guess what I'm trying to say, bottom line, I just feel like my, the work of probably most of my life, and especially again during this time, is just about accepting things as they are and as they unfold. Um, for me, that's really challenging, and and it's just something I keep trying to work at every day. Okay, this is just like this week we've gotten almost no schoolwork done okay, with my daughter, right? Okay, like it is what it is. I think we all did the we obviously did the best we could, so that's that's what it looked like this week. <laughs> so yeah, it's hard though, isn't it? I I don't know if you feel you find balance. I sometimes oh, think that word is a. I don't even know what balance prop. is right now. <laughs> I, I yeah, like I either I try to overcompensate to mm-hmm. because I feel bad that the kids are going through all this and I can't take it away from them. I can't stop it. Uh, so I try to overcompensate in some areas to try and keep them distracted or keep them whatever. And then I end up sort of emotionally bankrupting myself at times because I'm, I'm giving more than I'm putting back. And that's, that's something that's so important is, is, um, uh, a therapist that I was talking with once told me that you have to be selfish before you can be selfless. And, and it's sort of like putting the oxygen mask on first that you can, whatever. I used to be a medic and a firefighter. And one of the big things that we were taught was the number one priority is the safety of yourself and your partner before anybody else. Because if if something happens to you, now you have two patients. If something happens to your partner, now you have two patients. And, and it seems selfish, but, but I think it has to be that way. I mean, you, you can't, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? I mean, you have to put, you have to put back into yourself. And so I, I try to do that. You know, the podcast helps me because I get to connect with other adults. They're sort of mythical creatures now, right? Like I know I've, I've seen pictures. I've seen people on TV. Like I know, but, but I haven't seen one in real life in 36 days. And I'm starting to just uh, wonder, like, are they real? Are there other adults? Am I like the only one left? Uh but yeah, I, I'm trying to, I'm not writing like I used to. I, I've, I've written 20, 25 or, or I'm sorry, 12,500 posts uh, on my blog since 2010. And like, I'm just out of things to say. I, I I'm so tired. Like I don't want to live it, let alone write about it anymore. But that was my, that was my outlet. It was, I would write down what happened as honestly and transparently as I could 
and then leave it there and then walk away. And that was how I, I was dealing with it because I, then I wouldn't carry it with me. Right. And then positive things would come from that because someone would read it and be like, oh my gosh, I can totally relate. I thought I was alone or, or it creates conversation with people that uh, helps problem solve or, or whatever. So it's been a positive thing, but now it's like, I just, I just don't, it just seems overwhelming to sit down and try and write what happened today. And so I just don't. And that, and that hurt, that hurts me because I'm not, I don't have that outlet. I'm not utilizing that tool that I have to take care of myself. Um, and then my kids don't sleep at night anymore. They're, they're one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, you know? And, uh, and I don't like going to sleep with them still awake. And, and I, I get grief sometimes from other parents that are not special needs parents. Like, well, just go to bed. Like, why can't they just, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I, I'm not like if I had to take a nap or something and I'm sort of half awake, you know, but, but, uh, everybody's too volatile right now and too impulsive. Uh, I just, I don't like the idea of being asleep with these guys wandering around, uh, the house. Not, not that I don't trust them. I, I just feel like it's like a perfect storm of, bad things that could happen. And I don't want to be asleep. I, if I fall asleep, man, there's like, I don't know that I'm going to wake up. <laughs> like I'm just so tired. Uh, so yeah, balance. I, I, I want to try meditation. I'm going to like, I'm actually going to like do it. I'm not going to just say that I'm going to actually like move in that direction. <laughs> uh, Cause I, I think that's a, it's gotta be a positive thing, right? I mean, it, it helps you, Walking every morning helped me stay centered. Like I would just like you're communing with nature. It's a beautiful park. And I would just go through all the things that are going on in my head. And I would, I would work through them while I was walking, you know, and you expend that energy and that, that negative energy goes away and you come back feeling better than what you did before you left. And I'm, I am so missing that right now. I need to replace it with something and maybe meditation is what I need to do. Yeah, maybe. I know I'm I'm a swimmer, so yeah, I'm missing being in the pool and getting my laps in and so I I I just yeah, I think you're right. Like there's different seasons for things, you know, and we're in a season right now where some of our usual outlets are off limits to us yeah. <laughs> or usual ways of taking care of ourselves. And then some of them we just don't have energy for. I feel you. I used to journal every day and I can't do that. I don't I don't have the band. I haven't had the bandwidth for that in a long time. The bandwidth. I say that. I say that, that's that's. I always tell my kids. I'm like, guys, like I just don't have the bandwidth. Like you guys are just chewing up yeah. way too much, You're driving me crazy. Like I love my kids, and and we we joke around. I'm, I'm like, I love you guys, but I used to have hair. Yeah. You know, <laughs> don't don't feel like you owe me anything for that. It, it just you know, it, it's like. Uh, right. Yeah, I, my kiddo asked me to do. What was it this morning? She wanted me to. Go outside. I mean, it's cold. It's kind of chilly here today. It was like, go outside. Do you guys have jump snow? No, we thank have snow. God. We had it. Uh, 1.3 inches of snow in my county oh. today. It was like 70 degrees yeah. yesterday. I had the AC on yesterday. I woke up this Whoa. morning with snow on the ground. My sister is in Grove City, Pennsylvania, and she texted me this morning and said there was snow there. So, Wow. Yeah. She wanted me to go out and jump on the trampoline. And I, I, that's what I said. I'm like, I just don't have the bandwidth. <laughs> I don't even have the bandwidth to get my shoes on right now. Are you kidding me? Like, let me have some coffee and then maybe we'll like 
maybe I can play Candyland. <laughs> See, I, I need I need a vice. I I don't. I've never I've never had I, like I don't drink coffee, and I don't oh. I don't drink drink. Uh, I don't, I don't have like a, I need like a vice. Like you I can just, vice. I can just fall back on and just be like, you know what? It's been one of those days. I'm gonna <laughs> do this. It used to be Chipotle. Like I would have a Chipotle burrito. Uh, I am in love with Chipotle. Oh my God. I can't believe you just said that. I just saw somewhere that they're delivering and I'm like so tempted to work. It's now. like Grubhub though, I think. And I, I've, I'm really hesitant oh. to do like oh. the. Yeah, that me makes too. Me... I know, me too. Because you don't know if people are being careful if they're using glut. Like you don't know. Yeah, there, there. I, I, I saw. Um, I don't know. One of the newspapers or magazines did a a, a poll of delivery food delivery uh, workers, and they admitted like seventy percent of them admitted to sampling the food as they were driving, whatever. And I'm like, I'm really weird about that. Like, I don't like sharing drinks. I don't. When I was what? a medic, like they teach you you keep all of you away from all of them. Like you don't, the body fluids, uh, like you just, you isolate yourself yeah. from that stuff because you never know what's floating around. And so right. like, I, I just got into this habit of never sharing. Like, I don't even like when my kids take a drink, which is stupid because they're my kids, but it's, it's just ingrained right. in who you are. It becomes a instinctual thing and you shouldn't share drinks with anybody. Anyways, they argue mm. with me on that, but science has my back on that. And, <laughs> And, and so, you know, I mean, it just, it just, I don't know, weird stuff. My head goes into weird places <laughs> right now. I know, I know. But I will tell you, I've never had advice either because we're not really drinkers in this family. And, um, and it's funny you say this because my spouse doesn't drink coffee at all, which I, but anyway, when my son had his bone marrow transplant 14 years ago, um, I am an emotional eater. And so I thought, oh gosh, I'm going to eat my, I'm going to eat myself to 2 million pounds. This is what's going to happen to me. <laughs> so I, I realized very quickly that the one thing that was free on the isolation floor was coffee. And I taught myself to drink coffee so that I could have a bite. <laughs> and so my coffee habit was actually a chosen, like I did not like coffee. I did not, I was like, well, it's either that or I don't know, I'm going to take up drinking or I'm going to like, I'm going to force you know. myself to be a smoker. <laughs> Just I'm going to choose coffee I'll choose. out of all the options. It might be it's the least. And they do say, I mean, as long as I'm drinking like Starbucks, like cram full of sugar, whatever they, there's right. health benefits to, to coffee. My chair is sinking again. It's definitely not fixed. Oh I, yeah, I know. Because the mic, the mic is like up to the top of my head. I keep having to like. That's hilarious. <sighs> oh my gosh. Give any advice for parents who are going through? Well, everybody's going through this. Um, do, I guess. Do you have any advice for the people out there listening who feel like maybe they're the only one struggling right now? Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I can just, you know, say a little bit of what I what I know to be true from having been isolated before, which is it always ends. <laughs> it always ends. Um, and I think sometimes we just need to hear that right now. Like it might not be next month, but eventually we will get back out and, you know, see our parents and our friends. And um, I think people need to hear that right now. Um, but then otherwise, I, I think I would just say, I think that parents who have kids with disabilities 
are on the whole very wise people. <laughs> we're really strong. We're smart. We've been through a lot. We've navigated a lot already. We've been to hell and back a few times. So I guess my advice would just be to trust our own wisdom, whatever that is. So, you know, take care of ourselves and take care of our families um, in all the ways we already know to do that. Um, yeah. And just, I think keep reaching out kind of like, you know, you and I are doing today. I think mm-hmm. it's really important to stay connected to the larger community. Um, here in Massachusetts, I'm leading a phone call uh, one morning a week for disabled families um, to talk about supporting our kids. But it's really honestly turned out to be a, it's a Zoom call and it's turned out to be a lot of supporting of each other during this time. And I just think that's so important just to feel like you're, that we're not alone, that there are other people out there who are having a hard time and having a hard week and a hard month. <laughs> Um, I think that's really important. Yeah. And, and, and we will get through this. I have to, I have to like, this is chair is sinking so badly right now. I'm, I'm just basically sitting on the floor. (laughs) 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 Uh, My dog is down here. She keeps looking at me like, what's going on? (laughs) Um, Yeah. That, that's, that's really good advice. We will get through this. this. This will this will have. There's another end to this tunnel, um, and then we have to adapt to whatever the new normal is. You know, I mean, like I feel like I will never be caught off guard uh, again, and I now know what I need to do to prepare for something like this to happen again, and how to keep my kids safe. My kids will know sort of what to expect, and so so I feel like there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from everything that we're going through right now. Um, I, I think that uh, everybody, you know, make sure that they, regardless of your political affiliations, uh, get your absentee ballots out or, or register and, and vote because we have to decide who's going to drive this car uh, going forward. And, and I think now is the, now is the time that we need to, to really think hard about what we're doing. Um, but I, you know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on and, and be so open and, and honest about what you're going through and, and your amazing family. And um, you know, anytime your husband wants to talk, whatever, like you you have my number, so you know, it's it's nice being connected uh, to people who who just naturally understand what you're going through, and uh, it's that's sort of a rarity, I think, and and I do really much appreciate it. And I think a lot of people out there who are listening, they sort of got a taste of what our lives were like uh, with the ABC segment. And this was just, this is more insight into what is is really going on and, and how we're handling it. And and maybe if anything else, even if people can't relate, maybe they can learn to appreciate what they have and and not take for granted that, that maybe they can just get up and go to the grocery store with a mask and not have to worry about exposing someone who's at high risk. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that you take for granted in life. And, uh, and I think that now is one of those times where we need to sort of take an inventory and, and be grateful for what we have and keep doing the right thing and, uh, stick together, keep checking in with people in your life and make sure everybody's okay. We don't want to lose that human connection because we're on lockdown, you know? So, yeah. 
I think so too. I, you know, while you were talking, I was thinking too, um, we have this thing in our family called a glimmer jar. It's literally a big glass jar. I mean, it's maybe, I don't know, a good foot in diameter or something. And uh, throughout the year, we've done this now for quite a few years. We write throughout the year on little pieces of paper when something good happens in our family and we Uh put them in the jar. And then on New Year's Eve, we take them out. And it's kind of our New Year's Eve tradition to read back through the all the glimmers, right? All the kind of little points of light from the year before. It's my favorite New Year's Eve tradition now. That's really cool. Um, but it, yeah, it's really cool because I think our brains are sometimes hardwired to remember the terrible parts. <laughs> and there's a lot of terrible parts right now. So, you know, my husband and I were just talking last week, like, let's make a concerted effort during this time because we'll forget about the glimmer jar. You know, every yeah. family, we have these great ideas. I mean, how many times have us special needs families started out with reward charts for our kids or we're gonna do this. Yeah. I mean we should have probably bought stock and stickers at this point. (laughs) Right. So like every family we'll go months and then be like, oh F, our liver jar. Like we should put something. But we are trying in this time especially to like, okay, the the smallest things, right? Like we got to laughing over a game the other night or you know, our daughter said something hilarious that we never heard her say. Like, write it down because you don't remember. I, I love the know? stupid COVID. And she was say, <laughs> saying the stupid COVID. She's yeah, right. She's, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. It's really stupid. It's yeah. really screwed up her life. And it's funny. She's probably said it 20 times today because she's just mad today. Like, she wants to go do things and she can. And she's blaming stupid COVID as she should. There you go. Stupid coronavirus. <laughs> well, my kid is literally climbing under my bedroom door right now. Oh, cool. <laughs> One minute, Evan. Almost done. Uh, I know. I should probably go find mine, too. I'm surprised we didn't get interrupted, honestly, by mine, Rob. Well, so. I've had two chair incidents and uh, <laughs> pharmacy delivery, and my son has shoved his entire hand under his arm under the door. Oh, my God. Time to get back to life. I know. Well, well, thank you very, very much. And we definitely need to stay in touch and and my love to your family and uh, anything that that I can do to help, let me know. Um, Likewise, Rob, seriously, call anytime, check in. Like we're always glad to hear from you. It's good good to see you. And I think we should, we should touch base. I I like this. I think it might be helpful for people um, just to listen to, oh my God, this chair is totally, it's like a slinky and it's just totally compressed now. Uh, so yeah, I, I, yeah, we'll be in touch. Okay. All right. That sounds great. Stay safe. Best, take care. Thanks to you too. And my best to your family. <laughs> Same to you. Thanks. All right. We'll see you Bye-bye. later. Bye. Before I close things out today, I just wanted to take a minute and thank Melissa for coming on the show and, and talking so openly and honestly uh, about her amazing family and the struggles and challenges that her and her husband, Jason face. Uh, during COVID-19 lockdown. I know this is hard for everyone and and nothing that we talked about is meant to take away from anyone's challenges because this is hard for everyone. There are just unique challenges that that families uh, with special needs kids or you know kids that are medically fragile or, or have compromised uh, immune systems or, or things like that. There's just an extra layer of complexity to that that just that makes this extra challenging. Um, and, and, and talking about it is important to helping raise awareness and, and, and reaching other families out there so that they know they're not alone. Um, and, and just, 
you know, helping people to be more aware of, of what someone else might be going through. Uh, I think, you know, as we're, as we're social distancing and, you know, lockdowns and whatever, it, it's sort of easy to get kind of tunnel visioned and maybe really sort of focus on what you're going through and, and maybe you're not so aware of what everyone else is going through. Uh, I'm guilty of that. And it was really nice to talk to Melissa and learn more about her family uh, than we had learned on the ABC segment and, and, and just have a conversation with another parent who is going through things that I can relate to. And it was really nice. It was really, it was just a, a very, um, it was a very powerful thing for me on a, on a personal level. And, and I hope that this helps provide comfort uh, to Melissa and her family, as well as uh, anybody out there who's listening who may be dealing with similar things. So I will have all of Melissa's information in the show notes below, so you guys can check out um, the Inclusion Matters uh, Inc., uh, her nonprofit, and uh, her social media and stuff like that. So uh, she's a great person to follow. Uh, check out um, some of the things that she's doing. I'll link the ABC video segment in the show notes below so you can uh, check out um, more about her family and kind of what they're what they're going through. So as always, you can find me at theautismdad.com. All my information is at the top. Uh, I'm usually only on Twitter. I don't really pay attention to everything else. So if you want to get a hold of me, hit me up on Twitter. My messages are open and you can send me an email through the blog. Again, I, I just want to say before I end this that I, I really hope that you're doing well. I am, I am so grateful for everyone who is staying home and, and social distancing. Um, you're helping to keep my son safe. You're helping to keep my family safe. Uh, we are doing the same thing for you and for everyone else. So, you know, we're all in this together. We need to get through this together. And I, I just, I wish you all the very best. Uh, I'll be back next Friday with another uh, amazing interview. So, uh, until then, stay safe, stay healthy. I'll catch you guys later. Thanks. Bye. Autistic kids can sometimes struggle to learn new skills such as riding a bike, reading, or simply having a conversation to a high level of proficiency and automaticity. Brainiac is a brain enhancement program that gets to the root of the problem. It builds stronger brain and body connections that elevate learning capacity within four to six months. Brainiac cross-trains motor movement, visual, auditory, and cognitive thinking connections using fun, interactive video games. Strength and connections allow kids to learn new skills and perform them automatically with more confidence and greater independence. Brainiac is for homes and schools. Visit canoe.com, that's K-I-N-U-U dot com, and be sure to use the code theautismdata at checkout to save $500. It's a limited time offer and it will expire on May 31st.